I am so excited that you're here. Today, we have a very, very special guest. We've got Jamie Gruber. Now, I would normally read a bio for someone that's coming on, but Jamie deserves something really special. Jamie and I have been walking down a very similar path for many, many years. We've done business together. We have worked in communities together. And he, like so many other leaders, is a great community builder. Jamie is the kind of individual that will show you how to change, how to grow, and how to get out of your own way. And he's someone I very much care for, that I respect, and I cannot wait for this conversation. Here's a little bit about Jamie. Jamie, his history of insurance is well-documented, and he was very successful there. But that's not who Jamie is. And what we're going to talk about today is how Jamie went from being a successful insurance VP to now leading a community called GoBundance Emerge that has produced over 40 millionaires, hosting the very, very successful Tribe of, of Millionaires podcast. And as a member ambassador for GoBundance, just how much of an impact he makes interviewing incredible entrepreneurs and visionaries. He's the partner for Quantum Capital, a value-add multifamily investment firm with over $200 million in assets under management. He's just got a lot to offer. I'm so excited to share with you the story and the change that he's gone through so you can get out of your own way just like Jamie did. Let's start the show. What's up and welcome. We've got a very special guest today. Not only is the Jamie Gruber in the house, but Jamie and I have a long-standing relationship and to have him here today is nothing short of spectacular. I'm really excited and I couldn't be more grateful that he's one of our very first guests on the show. So Jamie, welcome to the show. Good to be here, man. Thank you. It's really interesting to to quantify how long I've known you. Mm. It was I, I was trying to to recall some fun facts about our history. It's probably been now five years and five years of a lot of change for both of us. Oh, tremendous. You've gone yeah. from a job to now running a podcast called The Tribe of Millionaires. You've had some like what I would call celebrities in, in their own right, in their own space that you've interviewed. You've changed your whole life. You run a community called Emerge inside of the GoBundance network. Like your whole life is different than what it was five years ago. And what I, I think I appreciate about you the most is that you've done that in a, in a way that's authentic to you. And, and that requires a lot of auditing. Let's just like highlight some of those changes from job to where you are today. What, what were some of the, if you had to dot major, major pivot points in your life between having a job and where you are today, what would those be? The, the first one I would say was reclaiming my identity. This is at 40, age 40, on my 40th birthday, driving back from uh, Boston to Michigan, long drive, 15, 16 hours by myself. I tend to get a lot, of, a lot of introspection done when I get time by myself. On that drive, I was listening to this song. You probably heard it. It's by One Republic. Uh, it's called um, uh, Secrets. And the mm, song yes. goes... I need another story, something to get off my chest. Uh, my life is kind of boring. It's something that I must confess. And then it goes into this whole, this whole thing. 
I'm giving all my secrets away. So at 40, I had been on this journey for maybe a year or two before that of saying something's wrong. Something just doesn't fit. I make a lot of money. I have a great career. I have equity in a big company. I worked for Progressive Insurance as a, an equity level uh, executive with them, you know, making multiple six figures a year, multiple six figures in equity, some of which isn't, a lot of which isn't vested. I've got a wife, two kids at that point. Life is good. Beautiful wife, two healthy boys, thankfully. Life is good, but something just felt wrong. And I couldn't figure out what exactly it was. I mean, the job is the sexy thing to blame. Quit the job. Everybody talks about that. But Everyone was, does. Yeah. It was really a departure from who I was to, to who, I, who I truly am to who I had become. So on this 40th birthday, I'm driving after going to an event, a mindset retreat, let's say. And I had done a lot of, of, of deep introspection at that event and, and really got a sense of like who I am, who I truly am, what I am, what some words that identify me and some that others use to identify me that I didn't ever think I would identify myself as. It was really, really powerful. So on this drive, I'm, I'm hearing this song. I got to give all my secrets away. And I just broke down in tears on the side of the road. Call a friend, have this deep conversation with that friend. And it was just, that was moment one of saying, okay, I know who I am now, but then what? <laughs> now what? It's not like the next day you quit. That would be cool, right? And I quit and boom, off into the races from that point. But it was step one. So to, to, to kind of go along with your question and give you further points, they all sort of relate around, it seems like a little bit of time alone. So flash forward from that point, you know, I start getting into the real estate space, buying real estate, build a brand around real estate, all of that. And I'm seeing a pathway where, hey, maybe I can replace this income or maybe I can at least put myself in a position to have something to move toward if I quit this job at some point. And as that grew and as I had opportunities to, to partner and build a merge and build that business up to a certain level where it wasn't replacing my income, but man, I could see the potential of it. I'm on another road trip, this time to Florida, this time for a month to go down there during COVID while working still for the same company and just spend a month on the beach. Why not, right? We were all at home. My boss had no problem with it and I made the trip. I always say my wife and kids flew comfortably down. I drove with the dogs. So <laughs> I, had, I had two, three days of driving, met a couple of friends along the way. But I don't know about you, but after, I don't know, seven, eight hours, there's only so many phone calls and podcasts that I can do. And you just sort of have your, the road, your mind, and that's it. No song yep. on repeat this time, but I really started to kind of back of the napkin what my life would look like if I didn't have this job. Again, the job mm. is not the thing to blame, but the job was something that represented the identity that I'd become that was completely departed from the identity that I am or that I, I knew that I truly was. So I'm on this trip. I'm on this journey. I get down to Florida. I'm, I'm just south of St. Augustine, Florida, and I am 99% of the way there, man. I'm like, you know what? I think I got this figured out. Yeah, I got some savings. I'm going to have to rely on that for a bit. Uh, I can always get a job if I need to. I make about this much on the side. It wasn't much. I could, I could maybe squeak out 4000 in cash flow per month, which was not up to the level. Like my, my real expenses are probably double that at least. But I could squeak that out. I think I could do that. And I believe in what I can build uh, with Emerge. So I, I, think, I think I'm ready to make this leap. I get this phone call. It's from a guy named Bob, guy I worked with in Boston. And he says, hey, man, I, by, by the way, I don't talk to Bob. Like, he's a great guy, but like, we're not buddies. He's just a guy I worked with back then. So on a Saturday to get a call from Bob randomly, years after working with him in Boston, is a weird call. Either he's butt dialing me or there's something, something's up. So I answer and he's like, hey, man, I wanted to give you a heads up because I know you were friends with him. Paul 
few years older than me, also two boys, healthy dude. You know, we, we talked, we kept in touch over the years. Just a great, great guy. And he went into the hospital last night with chest pain and he never came out. And that was my, mm. that was my target lock moment. I always look at... You That'll wake see, you up. You ever see Top Gun? The first one, the real one. The real one. <laughs> the real one. There's always that, yeah. that scene where like Iceman or Maverick are shooting at the MIG and they can't fire until that little red like diamond thing like 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 makes the beeping noise and it's beep, on. Beep, right? beep, beep, beep. Target lock. Target lock. Yep. I always say the journey from one to ninety nine percent. That's how far I had gone to quitting my job. That's the easy part. Like that that one to ninety nine goes fast, but ninety nine to hundred to target lock. That gap is wide. But that was my target lock moment. That's what it took. Unfortunately, was hearing the demise of another person. And putting myself in that moment, I remember like, like seeing him almost, it was weird, putting myself in his spot and saying, I'm no different. I'm no better, you know? And I can tell you a story later. I actually talked to his widow. We can, well, that's a good, it's what we call opening the loop in the biz. We can close that loop later. But I learned a that's lot. Right. I don't know. I didn't know his widow, but I talked to her fairly recently and I learned a lot about him that further solidified that that was my moment. That was the time that I needed to go. So I would say those are two of the most pivotal moments. They both were on the back end of long times with myself and allowing myself to be quiet other than one song playing over and over again. And, um, and they were both extremely, extremely transformational for me. So do you now, when you're in these transition periods, do you go to this alone space? It sounds like you've come to a, an awareness that when you're in a space of change, Going for a long drive is going to push you over the edge. Is that now intentional for you? Yeah, I call it the solo weekend. I recommend it to anybody. The, the, here's the thing, man. Like we do so many things. You, you, you have kids, right? You get up, you go, you go to the gym, you come back, you get the kids ready for school, you go to work, you come home or you finish up your day. You know, yeah, you, you say hey to the wife or husband or whatever. You have dinner, you get the kids ready for bedtime, you zone out on Instagram for an hour and then bang, you're asleep rinse, repeat the next day. We don't ever yep. spend time just with our own thoughts. So back then, after those two, those two things, it was like, you know what? I got I to gotta be a little bit more intentional with time alone. So I created what I call the Solo Weekend. Future book. Nobody steal it. But the idea is Friday to Sunday, and just a couple of tactical things here. Like I, I'm a hotel guy. Like You can go out into nature, whatever. It is. I, I like going to a nice hotel, you know, room service, whatever, just by myself. Um, it actually was uh, something I did with, for, for my wife first. I sent her to the W Hotel in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on a first-class flight. That was the first solo weekend that either of us had ever done. That was a Christmas gift. I went to the Hampton Inn, $80, <laughs> 1.3 miles away from my house, right? But either way, Perfect. what I needed, right? Like That's how I was able to get my, I gave a favor, got a favor kind of thing. But so the solo weekend, three days, I book a hotel. I book it through Sunday evening just so I don't have to check out at 11 or noon that day. I'll go home Sunday night most of the time, but I want the whole day, the whole night. It's worth the extra 90 or 100 bucks for that extra yep. full day. And it really is sort of a, a decomposition from Friday all the way through Sunday, culminating with something that I take away. Got to start with an intention. It's almost like a psychedelic retreat. What is the intention of this solo weekend? What do I want to get into with myself here? Where do I want to go? Mm -hmm. And then it's permission on Friday. You know, you don't just turn things off like, oh crap, I got it. I told Aaron I was going to call him this weekend, but it's my solo week. I, let me text him real quick on Friday. Let me check that email quick. Let me just sort of like, I know that I know that I got to get quiet, but there's a couple loose ends I got to. That's Friday. That's kind of what Friday is, right? If you can get quiet right away, great. 
Then you go into Saturday and Saturday is sort of the beginning. Like I said, that, that first drive, it's the first part of it is phone calls and podcasts. That's Friday. Saturday is okay. I'm alone. It's quiet. There's no one to talk to. Don't touch your phone. Just sort of be here for a moment. Remember your intention and then just be in a headspace, meditate, lay on the bed, look at the ceiling, go for a walk, go for a workout, whatever it might be. But all the time journal, just write things out, whatever, whatever comes to mind. By the end of a weekend of that stream of consciousness of going deep and digging further and further and further into yourself and writing down and writing down and writing down, I guarantee you with intention, you'll always have by the end of that Sunday, ideas, uh, it, perspectives, some, some level of introspection that lets you launch to the next level. So I'm very intentional with getting solo time because otherwise, man, if I don't plan it, it's just, it's not in my life. I can't, people say like the, uh, the road less stupid, like plan an hour of thinking time each week. Like, okay, I'm going to sit down for my hour and the hour is gone. Like, oh, let me do this. Yep. Shoot. Let me do this quick. I need that. I need that intentional weekend away for me to get the time alone to think. And it's never, ever convenient. I've found that whether I'm trying to be alone for an hour or for two days, it's never going to be the appropriate time. I'm bunny earsing that. It's never going to fit in with all the other priorities unless it's the only priority. Correct. And it, it becomes one of those confrontations itself. So, so here's where I want to go with this because I think we make the solo weekend sound like a glamorous, room-serviced uh, like vacation where we're journaling. But but then you got to deal with all that. Yeah. So how then are you making the difficult confrontation to maybe fears when you see what you have to do, when you recognize the choice that needs to be made is really uncomfortable. Now it's in writing, so you can't run from it anymore. When you come back from that, is there a collision with your reality? Is there a collision with the the new objective, the new choice, the new vision that you've created that might be very different from what you left with? No. It, it, that hasn't happened. What usually I come back with is, um, I know what I need to do. It's sort of in my calendar or in my plans somewhere. Like if I pick up the laptop and shake it, like it's in there. It's the next <laughs> Thursday at 1 p.m. Like that's the thing that really needs to be done. It's just that that thing comes to the forefront. It, it comes through yes. all the other noise and the junk, all the other people who have put things into my life, onto my calendar, into my schedule for them sort of goes by the wayside. And I see the thing that I, it's been on my calendar for a month or it's been in my mind or on my to-do list for a year, right? And it's just the, the, the intention, the meditation, the journaling brings it all, it bubbles it all to the top and it's there yep. and I'm confronted by it. And I haven't had it where it is a new sort of idea, even quitting the job. The idea of quitting the job wasn't a new idea. It was, it was that like, well, I... I'd love to, but I can't do that. It, it was in your core right, already. Right. But it was 400 grand a year. And my wife doesn't work. And I got two kids. And what about health insurance and all? You <laughs> right. know what I mean? But, but in silence, I'm confronted with like, shit, that's the thing. <sighs> yep. Am I strong enough to do it? That's probably the, the bigger question. Am I strong enough to make this move? Whatever that move is. But I usually know. And the weekend just clears all the stuff that we layer on top of what we know, all the, all the distractions, all the things that we do to like not do the thing. It just clears all of it out. It makes it really obvious and it makes you stand there with yourself very raw, naked, not literally, but and, and say, never know, never know. And then say, that's what I got to do. And, you know, I can't say that I, I just immediately execute that, but man, I get way closer to executing that uh, when I do that. You know, after that drive, 
to, for context, that was February 2021. We spent the month in Florida. Two months prior, I had written my three-year vision, at the end of which, so this would be now, as we end 2023, I quit my job. That was the vision. A month away, a drive, you know, back and forth, they did both ways for 30 hours or whatever by myself. I quit two weeks later. So mm. it, 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 it seriously accelerates the thing I know I need to do every time I do a solo weekend. So when I, when I hear that, I think of the, these moments that similarly, I know what I need to do. It, it is a confrontation. There is a fear. There is a, am I strong enough? Am I good enough? Am I worthy enough of this? That whether or not I'm clear on the steps, I, I often am, am not clear on the steps. I love going away. I love hotels. I love retreats. I love sitting in the woods. Whatever's going to disconnect me from my current obligations. And, and, and really, that's where the identity is, right? It's my day-to-day that becomes who I am. So separating from that makes me feel really clear. I'm still smashing into that. Can I do this? That that becomes very loud when I look at big objectives, big vision, or, or big timelines that seem really far away. And, and I think those are the moments where I have to let go. And cutting is way scarier than adding. Like, I get excited about adding, but I get terrified of what I got to cut to get there. Have you had to make really aggressive cuts in, in your environment, in your people, in your friends, in the amount of time you're with family? Because I, I don't think we talk enough about that. We talk about, look, everything's awesome on the podcast. I've got this big dream, this big vision. But you've, you've had to have made cuts. Uh, you live in a foreign country now. So what are some of the things that you, you've recognized you had to get out of your own way and say, look, I got to let this go. I'm, I'm destined to fly. I got to let this go. That's a great question. In phases, I think about this. You mentioned family time. That hit me because I think that is in a season, in a season, that is something that I did need to almost intentionally, I don't want to say cut, but trim back, let's say. It wasn't a complete like, you know, untethering of, oh, I'm done with my family. But if I'm building to try to get to a place where I can be a better version of myself as a parent, and that means removing the job, Part of that was I'm going to be in two places for a little bit to build this career, this this ability to support ourselves financially, which means I'm going to have to cut back some stuff with family. I think there's some mm. tactical stuff that I learned, like leveraging your your salary to pay for. I always say to people when they go, "How do you balance it all?" My first question is, "Do you wash your own dishes?" And everybody says yes. And the answer is not like whether or not you wash your own dishes, but the point is there are plenty of things that you do on a daily basis cleaning your own house, mowing your own lawn, doing your own laundry, that your day job salary, this is just a quick aside, your day job salary can be used as leverage to take care of such that you can rely on, or uh, I'm sorry, you can lean into the three big ones at that point, which for me was my job, well, my family, my job, and my side hustle, right? Everything else had to be be farmed out. But family time in seasons does have to be cut back. It's just, it's the reality. I hate this idea that, oh, everything is perfectly balanced. I think over the long haul, doesn't work. Over the long haul, you can have balance. Over a lifetime, you can have balance. But on a quarterly, monthly, weekly, yearly basis, there's going to be all family, not enough family or whatever. But you, you strive for lifetime balance. The biggest thing I think I had to cut, truthfully, boy, was everything that was, was I, everything that I was that I identified with in ascending a corporate career that no longer served me. 
part of that, mm. part of that was simply living in my home and staying comfortable in the country in the way that, that I live in in the US, right? I remember the decision we made when we made it. We were down here for a month in DR and Dominican Republic. And we, we said, man, this would be cool to do for a while, like a year. And that requires you to look at like, okay, but I have this house, this mortgage, this life, this whole identity I formed in this particular market. At that time, I was buying multifamily property in that market. And I'm going to have to sever all of that in order to take this next step. In order, like, you know, the, it's, it's the, the, I think you may have told me, the hot air balloon, right? In order for the hot air balloon to fly, you got to cut the ropes that hold it down. Cut the anchors. Correct. So cutting those anchors, cutting that, 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 that deeply rooted sense of who are you? Who am I? I'm this guy in this town, in this neighborhood, in this house who bought that place and that cul-de-sac, right? All of that had to be sort of severed and say, now I'm an expat or that's what I'm going to go do. And that created a whole other decision tree and a whole other set of confusing circumstances for me to figure out how to navigate. But I think for me, the biggest cut in every move I've made, quitting the job, becoming a father, uh, getting married for that matter, and, and um, becoming an expat all required me to sever aspects of my identity that I really held, really held firm to. So how did you, what, what was your rationale to the cut? Was it simply this future looks bright? And, and here's the reason I asked this yeah. question. I, I don't think that that future projection, no matter how good it looks, is enough for us to really face that fear. It's, it's like letting a version of us die. I, I've I've walked through these moments where I'm much more scared about the letting go than I am excited about the thing that I'm potentially going to have an opportunity at. It, it, that's unknown, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm moving towards it, and it is getting more clear as I walk. But but there is so much risk there. However, the fear of of letting go of my friendships or letting go of the city that I used to live in, letting go of the familiarity that I have with my my environment. Even to the tune of, like, I struggled a lot with going from one different mastermind community to the next because it felt like this community raised me. I grew, and if I if I shed that skin, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be exiled. I'm gonna be outcast from all these people that loved me or claimed they love me or care about me. Like that's almost been more scary to me. Do you find the same struggle? Do you navigate the same? like inner scrimmage where the, the tennis ball is just bouncing back side to side on like, hey, future looks bright, but you can't let that go. Who, who are you to let that go? Who are you to, to break away from these people? Who are you? Does that ever get in your mind, that thought, that like annoying earworm? Not who, who are, are you? you? Not who are you? But there's a couple of things. One, I think that you have to have, you, you asked about the rationale. I think the rationale is anchored in whether or not you've, you've, you've outlined a compelling vision. So for me, when I made the move to Dominican, for instance, it was, well, I wrote in my vision, my core of my vision, like I had this big, long vision, but the core of it was, I want to be able to travel three plus months with my family anywhere in the world. Like I want to have that reality where I could just pick up and go wherever we want anytime. So when we got to the point where it was like, wow, we can do that. The rationale was I'm lying to myself about who I said I wanted to become if I don't execute this. And it felt aligned. Mm. I mean, there's some things in my vision, like I, you know, live in Boston again. Like that was the thing that ah, I think I was holding on to something. And I've realized like, that's not really what I wanted. But in the moment that I wrote it, it felt good. But long-term, that wasn't really what I wanted. But being able to travel three plus months, man, that, that, I was anchored into that. That just felt aligned. 
So now by not executing it, I'm, I'm, I'm lying to myself. But the mm. bigger thing is, I think this answers your question and tell me if, I, if it doesn't, but I learned by making one decision and then a second decision, and I'll explain those in a second, that there's, there's two realities that if you can come to grips with this, no decision is that scary. And the first is on the other side of whatever the words are that you aren't saying, the scary words, on the other side of those words is a new reality that as a human being, you will be able to deal with. The breakup yep. you need to make, the, the, the decision you need to have, the job you need to go for, the place you're going to move to, whatever the words are that need to be said to somebody else that is going to impact or that is in that, in that zone with you, you know, the spouse that's going to move with you, the person you need to break it off with. When the words are said that you avoid saying forever out of fear of hurting or scaring or whatever it might be, the other person, there is a reality on the other side. And when you get those three words out, those five words out that you wait years sometimes to put out there, you, you're a, when you do it, you'll be amazed at how much you're able to deal with the crescendo of emotion and then That's settle right. into the reality seconds later. You avoid, you avoid a seconds-long emotional challenge for years. You, me, hmm. everybody. So one is, there's a new reality on the other side of those words that you're not saying. And the second is, it only takes two weeks to find your new groove. So let me give you two things on that. I was in a bad relationship in my early 20s. It was a checkbox relationship, I call it. In other words, if I look at the conditioning of my family, not overtly, but just what I observed, everybody got married young, had kids, bought a car, got a house, got the job, you know, and they were done by 30 and just wrote it out till 70. Hopefully they made it. That was life. So at 20, 21, 22, I had the car, I had the job, I was buying the house, made a good living, needed the girl. Meet the girl on match.com, good enough, let me propose. So I do wrong decision to propose in the first place. And I wanted to, I wanted to not be with her probably from the very beginning, but I was afraid of those words. And then when I was mm. engaged, I didn't want to go through with the marriage, but again, afraid of those words. So I wait to the last possible minute, three weeks before the wedding, I call it off. Tough to say the words, the emotion crescendos, she leaves. And I have this duality of, of emotion, relief and, you know, guilt, relief guilt, and guilt, yeah. both at the same time. But my God, a week later, Two weeks later, everybody kind of moves on. They figure out there's a new reality. They can deal with it. So that was example one. Like finally saying, I want out was the best thing I could have done. And I spent years not saying it to my own detriment and to the other person's detriment. So that's one example. The second example is I took the, the, the job that I wanted in Boston from upstate New York. Big step up in cost of living. It's a city versus sort of a rural environment. And all of those fears were in my head. Like, I, how can I afford to live there? How can I, I'm going to have to go from house to apartment. And, you know, I don't know anybody there. And what about my fantasy football league? Like all these silly things literally were going through my head. I'm going <laughs> to have my fantasy football league. Right. You know, I love the draft every year. I'm giving that up. Like, I'm not that kid. Like, that was one of the thoughts. Like, I, I love this routine. So I move and it's scary. Remember the first night getting there, like at the apartment I had, they, they like had a lockbox with my key in it, a place I'd never been before. I get there like on a late Sunday night, going to my new job the next day on Monday. But like by Tuesday or Wednesday, I could get to the job without a GPS. By Thursday, Friday, I had a routine or a, or a system where I could find the grocery store closest to me, a sandwich shop, uh, the Target and my job. Week and a half in, you know, you meet a couple of people. Oh, there's this set of bars that I could go to. There's a little nightlife. Two weeks later, I had a new life. Like my old life was like years ago. You know, even though Gosh. it was only two weeks ago, it was years ago. So 
that's where I come up with this idea. And after, from that point, moved to Michigan, moved to DR. It's like, I understand that on the other side of this words, all these words that I'm not saying is a new reality. So say the words. And secondly, once I do, two weeks from now, my new reality will become normal. And this, this reality that I have right now that I'm clinging to will feel like a distant memory. So if you can deal with those two things, I tell myself, what's on the other side of those words and give it two weeks, anything is possible. Any change is doable. And I'm sure there's, there's, somebody can come up with an example of how that's not the case two weeks, maybe the loss of somebody or whatever, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a decision. When you make a decision to make a change, the words are powerful and they create the change. You deal with the crescendo of emotion. You get to the other side of it quickly. Two weeks later, your new reality is cemented. It's, it's literally that simple formulaically. I don't think there's anything that could sum up getting out of your own way better than this. You avoid a seconds long emotional experience for years. And that's what keeps you stuck. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I, I've, I've been there. Unfortunately, I have that's the thing. suffered that. That's the thing. Like but, everybody has, I can't tell you since I did that and the shame and embarrassment of calling off the wedding once invitations were out, losing deposits on the hall and all that stuff. I've met dozens of people with the same experience. Like you think right. you're alone, but I mean, whatever it is that you're experiencing, like you said, we've all been through it. We've all said, I know I got to break this off, but Christmas is coming or her birthday right. is coming. His CDs are in my truck. Right. <laughs> all of that has gone through all of us. So it's like, ah, it's too complex. But honestly, the words are said, the moment happens, the other person you don't, that you haven't given enough credit to for dealing with emotion as well, deals with it and you figure it out. Yeah. yeah and and the, the cost is really what I want to dig into really fast. Yeah. The, in that example of a calling off a wedding, you've got you've got like real costs. You've got money on the line. You've got wedding invitations that are out. There's like some real cost to that. I also think that it's very easy to get wrapped up in the cost and make the cost so big that we don't ever want to change the choice. We don't ever want to make that final statement that issues our truth. All we're talking about is saying your truth. Yeah. To be clear enough is to be kind. Otherwise, it's all a delusion and a lie anyway. But what is it about human behavior that makes us look at the cost, cost, cost versus the opportunity? Because that freed you, right? That created the, the amazing relationship that you have now. It created the family you have now. You could not have been that person had you not paid that cost. But what is it about us that makes us fixate this happens in investment, it happens in business, it happens in relationships, where we're, we're more concentrated on what we're going to lose than what we're going to gain. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, um, I think there's a, a, so this is what I think of when you say that, a couple of things go through my brain, but one of them is, I think there's a, a most people would hear what I'm about to say and say, that's all voodoo, woo woo, whatever. But you'd be amazed, I'm always amazed at how a block or something that you're holding on to that's weighing you down in one area of life lifted clears the way in so many other areas of your life. Yes. So in other words, if you've got the relationship weighing you down, you have no idea how much that's impacting your health, your ability to get fit. I got, I lost 30 pounds after that, after that relationship ended. I was heavy. I, wow. I had a lot of weight on. Um, or you don't realize the impact it's having on your ability to show up in your career. In fact, you think like 
I'm, I'm all about career because I'm trying to avoid this, but no, this distraction is creating blocks in your career. So there's an energetic block that's there. And I think people need yep. to understand and accept that. Accepting it is hard because people like to compartmentalize generally. No, my relationship is the problem, not my job, That's right. not my health. It's just this relationship thing. If I clear that, then the relationship thing is solved. It's like, no, everything's solved. Everything or, is solved. Or whatever it is, quit the job, whatever it might be. The other thing you said yeah. about cost, though, I think the thing, if, if you're somebody listening to this, you're likely, you likely align with this statement, which is the best version of us is in service to others. You give to get, right? Don't, don't try to get something. Go out there and just add value. Give to others. So I look at it and I understand now when I'm not making the decision or not having the conversation, not saying the thing, avoiding that, that statement, that, that emotional statement, that the true cost is the impact on the other person. And just to unpack that That's for true. a moment, my ex, the reason why we were, it just, it wasn't working. I'm very extroverted or not even extroverted. I wouldn't say that. I'm very uh, social and she's not. She was not. It was, it, she was very anxious in social situations. That creates stress, strain, right? Like change of plans, you know, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm very go with it. And she's very sort of like overly anxious on things. So for instance, if a single snowflake was falling from the sky, like the anticipation that it could become a storm that makes it difficult to drive in would, would put her into a mm. deep migraine and cause like, let's go to the hospital and get a shot of Toradol. Can't tell you how many times that had ha that happened. Like, the smallest thing became the hugest thing in her brain. And that just frustrated the absolute hell out of me. Like she was doing this to me, right? This, er. mm. so that would happen a lot. Like she had this heavy anxiety and here I am not the anxious guy feeling weighed down by this. So years go by, I break it off. She moves away. She's with a boyfriend, new guy that she's with. We had a dog together. She has the dog. She's returning to the area that we lived in. They had moved away. He was in the military. Very complex story. But she, she comes back with the dog. She's like, hey, my boyfriend's parents, she messages me, my boyfriend's parents are allergic. Can the dog come stay with you? This is my dog too. So I was like, you know what? Sure. This is a few months after we, after we like just stopped talking. So I, 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 I get the dog. I think, I don't remember how exactly I got the dog, but I, I'm bringing the dog back. We're six hours apart. We meet in the middle, three hours and three hours. From her direction, massive snowstorm. From my direction, it's clear. So understandably, she shows up late to get the dog at this gas station we plan to meet at. And I'm thinking like, she's going to be late, frazzled, freaked out because the snowstorm and she's driving it. And I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. She's with her boyfriend. Never mind. She'll be fine. He's in the driver's seat. They pull up, driver door opens, who hops out? No problem, no anxiety, but her. And in that moment, the cost became clear to me. I saw selfishly, she is weighing me down. Her anxiety mm. is a block for me. And I am so gracious to not hurt her feelings and break it off by staying with her for years and sacrificing years of my life to give to her because she's such an anxious person and she can't deal without me, the arrogance. When the reality was in that moment, the cost, the true cost, was whatever my aura energy demands of her were, subconsciously or otherwise, or just the, whatever I brought to that, that, uh, that, that uh, relationship was weighing her down heavily. Yeah, you both were being weighed down. Big time. So the cost was I prevented her from maybe seeing through a relationship. What if she can't have kids? All of these things became costs potentially that I placed on her. That was the real cost. So being in service, being in service to her would have been 
breaking it off when I knew it was time to break it off and giving her yep. a chance Letting to live her life as opposed to, you know, anchoring in, giving her mixed messages, letting her stick around, like, no, maybe we'll get married again. Don't worry. Yada, yada, yada. Just to make it peaceful in the moment, but wow. avoiding that conversation and that emotion. That's a big perspective shift to to not not be wrapped up in your own reality and not be so self-centered that it's it's only about you and it's your change and your freedom also granted her hers. Big time. That's Huge. a beautiful, it was obvious a beautiful in that moment. thing. Obvious in that moment. She jumped out of the car. I, dude, couldn't drive if there was even the threat of a snowflake. Like not like nervous, hospitalized with migraines. Wow. To, wow. I show up in a massive snowstorm as the driver. Crazy, 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 crazy. So th there's, there's change in your life. There's change in hers. Like change is a big theme. And I think it's a, it's a big theme on where we want to take this show and this, this episode. It's clear in the way that you talk and you and I get to talk in front of audiences and do this kind of work all the time, but it's clear in the way that you talk that change excites you. Like your relationship with change is now very positive. And even the way you talk about her changing is very positive. Yeah. Not everyone has a positive relationship with change. There's, I think, a, a language, a, a rhetoric or just a a stigma around wanting change, about wanting more. There's a stigma around going after it. Again, we're sort of in that space just because of our ecosystem. It's an echo chamber where it's like change, 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 change. We, we like push for it. Mm -hmm. But what would you say to someone that is maybe secretly has these visions, that they're not public with them yet, they haven't put them on a vision board, but they know they want change and they're listening to you and I talk about it like, changes a casual encounter at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. How does someone build a healthy relationship with change? That's a great question. I, I think, well, so for me, a couple of things. For me, it's go back into history in your own time, first and foremost, and look at the changes you did make, catalog it, write it down. What are some of the big changes? Everybody's made a change in their life, whatever it is, going to college, leaving college, moving to a new town, buying a new house, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, there's a change that you made. And then just write down like, what was the upside? What was the downside? Like really how scary was it to go through that change? So I think just having nice. some sense of the evidence of your past will help you uh, forecast forward, you know, how you deal with change. But the biggest thing, I, I think of a big change for me was moving here, moving out of the country. And again, we, we still have our home in Michigan, so we moved temporarily, but we're here a year and a half at this point, and who knows? Who knows when we come back? But there's a lot of logistical things when you think about, hey, I got two kids, school age, going to move them out of the country. Granted, my wife's originally from there, so there's some connection that helps, but there's a lot. What about a car? What about education? What about health insurance? What about taxes? What about, and you line up all these things. Change creates like... Like uh, you ever see a minority report with Tom Cruise when he's yeah, doing the, the ripples, like, you know, you know, like he's moving the things around yep. the board, like change does that where there's all these things happening on a screen. But I got this advice from somebody who was like, okay, you got all these things you want to do. I think this is a healthy way you can develop a relationship with change. It's like, what is it that you need to do? Or what can you do in the next 48 hours? And then just, if you don't have an answer, then just start tracking that down. This, this worked for me. So it's like, what can you do in the next 48 hours? And it was like, well, it's like, too quickly, I'm in my head. What about in the next Jeez. 24 hours? Uh, nope, still in your head. Like, how do we get to the heart? The next 12 hours, what can you do? The next six hours. And I tracked that down to, what about in the next two hours? Like, I could book a flight. Just popped out. I could book a flight. And that was like my heart saying, hey, all that, that 
that big minority report board with all these different things on it, this like list of things you don't know what, like this is the first thing. So then when I did I that, that, I went on, I remember going online, I pulled up August 23rd, 2022, and I looked up flights. I found four first class tickets for $800 a piece. So I bought them. And actually, I looked at other days and it's amazing. Like the day I picked was the cheapest day by a mile. God, universe, who knows? But I picked that day, booked four, four one-way first class tickets to Punta Cana from Detroit. And then it was like all those things on the board all over the place. It's like, okay, so now I land, gonna need a car. Talk to my wife. Oh, my, my, my stepbrother has a dealership. We can, we can mm, the uh, dominoes pay, happen. pay 500. Right. Okay, got the car. Now what? School. All right, well, there's three that we see. So can we set up visits with them? Yeah, yeah, do that right now. We set up visits. Okay, so now what? Uh, health insurance. Actually, ours can apply there or we can buy this one. Oh, that's easy. Two decisions, right? So yeah, the dominoes start to happen. Exactly. So I think the, the way to develop a relationship with change is the enormity of it is overwhelming. Track mm-hmm. it down to the point where you're saying, when your heart tells you, this is the thing I can do in the next minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. Like you just know, like, well, I can do this. Could be the simplest thing in the world. Could be, you know, I could charge my phone. I could write something. I could write it out. Like that might be the one thing. Like, oh, we actually, what would help me is if I wrote it down. Like your heart tells you that. Great, write it down. Now you're in the next room. You're in the unknown. You're doing this thing that you haven't done before. And the next step and the next step and the next step. And before you know it, just like before, if you look back at the evidence of your past, I'm sure every change started with something small and a month, yep. a year of six months later, whatever it is, you turn around and look back and you're like, holy cow, I've come this far. Kind of like that. Yep. You ever see that, that video of the dude in, in a movie in football where his coach tells him, get down on all fours, put a blindfold right. on. He's got a blindfold on. Crawl, crawl to the 30 yard line with a guy on your back, but don't give up on me. You can't see where you're going, but I'll tell you when you're done. Just don't give up. Guy ends up going all the way to the other end zone. He's unknown. He looks up and looks back like, holy crap, I went that far. Same thing. When you ask yourself, what's the simplest thing right now? And your heart just pops it out of you. That is how you can enter the room of the unknown. And it starts to line up the dominoes of the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And before you know it, you've quit your job. You've married the girl or the guy. You've moved to the other country. Whatever, you started the business. You've got a six pack, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. That's what I've learned about change. Sounds like you're chasing a six pack too. Nice. <laughs> At 45, I'm past that, I think. I'll just give you eight. <laughs> there you give go. you the, the draw-on version. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, you said something really special that, that I love. Uh, I'll, I'll recount it and then I'll, I'll share my perspective because th- this has probably been the most significant changed relationship for me. And, and I've been a changeling in a lot of ways. But you said, what's the simplest thing I can do to start? This puts you in the room of the unknown and will move you forward beyond what you can dream of. I, I just, I, I love the idea of starting. Uh, change, the relationship piece with change for me is that change is a choice. And if, if you decide not to change, then you're choosing the thing that you have. So you can commit, you can choose what you want, your future, or you can commit and choose to your current conditions. And you only get one commitment to pass out. You only get one piece of paper, one ticket, do you want it for your future? Or do you want it to your present? And I, and I think that almost every step that you take into the unknown yields another moment to pause and make a new choice. You just don't know enough. When you're making a big trip to another country, you, you don't know enough about where to start. And, you know, I, th- I think about baking. I, I'm not a, I don't bake. I don't really know how to bake. But I do think about this. You can't do anything 
when it comes to baking unless you preheat the oven. Like it doesn't matter what you do, you have got to preheat the oven. Then all the rest of the steps matter and all the measurements matter. But if you don't do that step and you somehow like work your magic through the other baking and mixing pieces, it still doesn't matter. It's not going to work. It's just that first step. So I really, I, I love that. Can you break it down and slim that timeline until you can, you can actually take a step? That's beautiful advice. I want to go one more place before we wrap up. Sure. A big part of our, our structure, our coaching, our methodologies re- relies on this very simple paradigm, I am well. So if you're listening, I believe that you are well. You are worthy, you are enough, and you are lovable. So that well is an acronym. Worthy enough and lovable have been the biggest struggles of my life. Mm-hmm. I also find that in every single new phase, there's a, there's a confrontation of like a new level of worth, a new level of enough, a new level of lovability. You've gone from this space that is progressive insurance, where I'm sure you had a lot of cool conversations and managed awesome people. But now you're having conversations like the last time I was around you, you were interviewing Tim Grover. Oh, yeah. A yeah. guy that that like I look up to one as a as another coach, but also just as a person who has had a tremendous impact on people behind the scenes to accelerate them to a whole nother stratosphere. And you're sitting next to him. And I think on the outside, it's like, oh man, Jamie's interviewing these people and he's got it all together. What have you had to confront internally to say, hey, I'm going to sit with this individual, regardless of how good they are, regardless of how known they are, regardless of how celebritized they are. And I'm just going to have a regular conversation. Have you had to grapple with your own progress, your own growth, your own identity to say, you know what? I deserve to be in this room too. Because that has been the, the battle for me internally as I grow. Yes, but not... Yes, I have had to grapple with that. But I think it's all in what I just described earlier in this podcast. It was talking about at 40 years old, reclaiming my identity. So, you know, when I was 16, I wanted to be an NFL sportscaster. That was my, that was my ambition. That's the thing to do. But at the heart of it, I didn't end up pursuing that because of different reasons. It was, you know, it didn't end up being my passion. But at the heart of it was the ability to leverage a gift that I have and something I enjoy, which is communicating through my voice, what I'm seeing and sharing that with others. So my mission in life, I believe, is to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. That's such a common mission. A lot of people have that kind of mission. But my way of doing that is leveraging communication. I always say I wasn't born with pigment, hair, or height, but I was given this ability (laughs) to communicate effectively, use my voice to say, hey, I see what's on the field here. Let me share with you in a way that really gets you excited about what I'm seeing. If you look at everything I do with my brand, that's what it's about. So. NFL sportscaster wasn't the right medium. So I dove into insurance claims, a complete departure from anything yes. related to leveraging my voice. And the, 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 the spots that were highlights along a 21-year career were when I got to get up in front of a room and maybe lead a leadership conference or whatever. Those were my moments. So now flash forward, I'm reclaiming my identity at 40, leaving my job at 42, starting a podcast. I'm getting positive feedback. I'm around incredible people. And I realized like, wow, if I'm being honest with myself, if I'm having these solo weekends and going internal and really understanding who I am, the, the space that I'm in, the thing that I do that aligns with my mission, that I feel, I mean, I don't want to say no, but very little insecurity about is on that stage. That's my place. 
So when a Tim Grover or a Tom Bilyeu or a Jesse Itzler or an exhibit or whomever steps on stage with me, it feels like that to me. So it's not mm. that I had to do any work in order to prepare myself for the potential celebrity interview per se, but the work I've done in the last few years to reclaim who I am, to acknowledge what I have, what I'm great at, what I'm not great at, what I don't have, hair, pigment, all of that stuff that I talked about. But to, to sit there and say, you know what, but this is my thing. I'm good at this. It, it allows me to dive into the work. I do 40, 50 hours of prep work on each of those guests in advance. I know everything about them. So the interview just becomes uh, uh, like open the drawer, the card catalog in my brain of what I've read, listened to, already know that they are and have done. And just make sure it's the best version of whatever I'm getting from them for the people sitting in that audience. So the work is over time. The, the, the art of podcasting or getting on stage with other people is simply the do that aligns with my be, if that makes sense. Yes. The doing mm -hmm. that aligns with that. my being. Um, I don't know what that's going to be in five years. Uh, you know, some AI generated version of me that, that you know, pops up on a, on a stage as a, as, a, as a hologram and talks to you know, Tony Robbins or whatever. Who knows, right? Like, I don't know what the future version of whatever podcasting is today, but that art is the, is the or that, yeah, that art is the alignment of the, the medium that's available to me that, that syncs up with who I truly am. So long answer to a quick question, but I don't feel the nerves. I don't feel the, oh my God, do I belong here? I, I feel, I, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like when Michael Jordan steps on the court and says, my court. It's kind of like that. My stage, my studio, yes. you know? That's the one place I can claim that. Not even, I can't do it as a spouse because my wife owns all of that, but I could do it as a, uh, I could do it as a <laughs> podcaster, you know? I almost hear in that too, that your, your way of, of being worthy of, of being enough is by looking at this as service, right? This is, I, I'm here and I deserve to be here because I'm, I'm here to help yeah. you. I'm here to help someone else extract from this expert, from this experienced individual, their wisdom that ultimately radiates well beyond just this conversation. And my, I, yeah, my ability to be curious and follow that curiosity and, and just allow that, even though it's like, I don't know if anybody's getting anything else, has been validated over and over and over again as adding value to others. So Love I'm that. just doubling and tripling down on that. Like I built confidence through feedback in some ways, both internally yes. and externally. Um, really interesting aside, I know we're, we're, we're tight on time, but in interviewing a lot of people, the thing I've noticed about peak performance, somebody who's say an Olympic athlete or uh, a top line entrepreneur, everyone has the same fear. Everyone has fear of judgment. Everyone. That's held us back in some way, shape or form at some point. But what I've learned is that there's two phases of, there's two levels of fear of judgment within that. Peak performance athletes fear self-judgment first, then judgment from others second, right? So those that are at the very top of their game, their biggest fear of judgment is self-judgment. How am I going to view myself? And then secondarily, how everybody else is going to view me. People like me, who I don't know if I consider myself peak performance, in most areas of life, it's the opposite for me. I fear everyone else's eyes and then my own self-judgment. Nice. When it comes to podcasting or doing onstage interviews, it's, it's that peak performance formula. I fear my Truth. own. Like I let myself down and I, I fear right. that judgment first and then the audience or somebody listening or watching second. So I know I'm in my peak performance moment doing that little study within podcast guests that I've interviewed because 
the only place that I know of that I fear my own judgment above, above even my spouse. I fear her judgment above mine as far as am I a good husband or my kid's judgment above my own. Am I a good dad? But in that space, I fear only my own judgment first. And then, then I'll worry about everybody else's. Mm. Man, this is, this is such a good reminder. If you're listening to Jamie, Jamie speaks about, I'll, I'll say it to you, Jamie, you, you, what I love about you most, man, you speak with a clarity in who you are. And it has been really special to watch you get more and more solidified in that, more and more excitable in that. And whatever gifts you don't have, what was it? Pigment, hair, and height. Mm, that's it. Uh, you you certainly make up for it in enthusiasm and the, and the way that you support others, dude. I, I really appreciate that. I got I got one more question for you. Sure. You said the the quote again is this. I love this. You avoid a seconds long emotional experience for years. To you, what does it mean to get out of your own way? It's a big question. For me to get out of my own way. I would say, as I think about the things that I'm putting out into the world, it is not overvaluing the critics and allowing myself to just be okay with the fact that I did my best in that particular moment. Could be something I mm. post on social media. Could be the podcast. Well, podcast, I, I kind of value my own opinion anyway. Could be the interaction I had, whatever it may be. But the thing that gets in my way more than anything is what I just articulated a minute ago. I fear how others perceive me. I've learned that uh, there are some at my old day job who just can't believe that I might have quit a job like that without being forced out. Like, you know, yeah, he resigned, but. That's Quote because unquote, they were resigned. pushing him to resign. Uh -huh. And that just like, I couldn't sleep on that. You know, I get my, in my head, like somebody else has that perception. I need to change that perception. That's when I'm in my own way. And I recognize it. I read, uh, you know, a thousand comments on an Instagram reel that are all positive, And then that one person challenges me and I'm, I'm, I'm on that one. Like what? Wait a minute. Uh, I could communicate that different. Let me create a new reel. Like what? That's in my own way. So for me, getting out of my own way is not overvaluing the critics and allowing myself to just be okay with the work that I did, forgive myself if I didn't do my best and move on. Mm. I'm sure you're not alone in that. Mm. I, I spend a lot of time being way too buried in everyone else's thoughts rather than my own. And you know, I, I appreciate you being here and sharing so much because I, I don't think that we often talk about the dark side of personal development, right? The, the fears, the confrontations of our own identity, the letting go, the things we got to cut. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch as your relationship with critics and with other people changes. Because I, I, know, I know that if you can say it here, you're also working on it. Yeah. I know you to be that person. Big time. Big time. No, I appreciate you, man. Same, by the way, in all the things watching you grow. It's been insane. I remember our first in-person meeting in Baltimore years ago. And uh, to see where you are now versus then is insane. Insane. So. I think I had that photo. It like popped up recently. We were at like an Italian, no, a Greek restaurant, Uzo. 
somewhere downtown in Baltimore. There was four or five of us there. And, um, you know, yep. you showed up in your, your signature bow tie jacket bow tie. that you had at that time. So, that's uh, right. And, you know, you had a different focus back then, but you've leaned into, you've leaned into, you know, same thing. I feel like, like, you know, you had sort of the, okay, I'm good at these things. I can make money at them. And I'm sure you still do travel hacking, credit card hacking. Um, you had Ordis Academy back then. You were even just coaching soccer. And you had sort of like a, you know, this mindset coaching. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool to get to. And at some point, I don't know exactly where it feels like you just sort of said, I'm all in. And the, the perception, I know it's not, I know it's not, but the vision of it, at least for those of us outside, is up and to the right since then. Um, I know there's, for sure. you know, like bounciness along that way. It's not a straight line. But to see you... And it culminates with watching you, what you did in Chicago for that event that we co-hosted in, in, uh, in, uh, in the Windy City there. I mean, on the spot ability to coach in a group of 50 people, individuals that you had almost no context in, you know, how can you? There's 50 of them in a room. And to, and to unlock them, to bring emotion out of them. Like, I mean, you talk about living into your own strengths like you were blessed with hair height and pigment so you got those <laughs> plus plus you've got an incredible ability um you know to interact with others in a way that gets deep quick and you can you can you can turn that mirror very quickly on people and and really make a difference in their lives so incredible to watch i appreciate that man uh this is a phenomenal share when it comes to change making the hard choices and even taking the time to hear your own thoughts and separate. I appreciate your shares. Those compliments mean a tremendous amount to me. We got a great event uh, coming up soon and I'm excited to, to tackle that together. Uh, I'll share a little bit more about that with the audience uh, in some after notes. And dude, more than anything, man, I'm just excited to, to continue our, our dynamic of making people better yeah. together and having a hell of a time doing it. So dude, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, for you. Thanks to you, brother. Appreciate you.